Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Um, hey, um, welcome to Slate Church. I think based on the video and everything else, you probably know who I am. But if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. My name is Brandon, and uh, we're just so glad that you would join us. We're in the middle of a, a, a series of talks right now called um, called The Good News. And um, we really um, aren't trying to be too original with this series. We're really just trying to uh, share all that, that Jesus has to share. Jeff Carlson, it's so good to see you. Can we give it up for Jeff Carlson? Some of you might not know who he is. This guy's amazing. I'm kind of a little ticked off he didn't tell me he was in town, but that's okay. I'll uh, I'll track you down in another way. Um, Jeff is has served for a long time on our board and has helped walk us through a lot of the process that we've just been through. So um, he's just amazing. If you don't know who he is. Um, we're not really trying to be that original with our series right now. We're really just trying to point ourselves back to the good news. For some of us, we've heard this term our entire lives, the good news of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, like some things that are um, over and over again repeated in our lives, it, the significance of that idea can sometimes be lost on us. But maybe you wandered into this place here today, maybe by the invite of somebody else or just out of curiosity, and you might not know what the good news is. Um, about Jesus, or maybe you have a vague understanding of who he is. I, I hope by the end of today, there's more clarity for all of us in this room, whether we have heard this message every Sunday for our entire lives, or um, we're just walking in fresh this morning, that you would have a, a new revelation about what God is trying to do in your world and what he's up to in our world. And so um, we're going to find ourselves right now in John chapter 9. Um, we're walking through the I am statements of Jesus throughout this series. Uh, there's seven I am statements throughout the, the, the Gospel of John. And in many ways, John is using these statements. He uses seven I am statements. He uses seven miracles. Seven is a very uh, is a number of completion uh, within Scripture. And this isn't like some weird like Bible code thing. Uh, if you stay up too late on like a Saturday night and you're watching the History Channel, you'll hear all this stuff about like Bible code and uncoding the Bible. And if you just take these numbers and add them up with these numbers, you'll get some like weird thing about the end of the world. And that's not what we're talking about here. Literally. When ancient writers were writing, not just within scripture, but just penning ancient works that we still read today, um, a lot of the times they're using numbers that are significant. And the scriptural writers, the writers of scripture, were no different. Uh, the only difference would be that there are sig- s- certain numbers that are very significant within scripture, seven being one of them. And one of the things that John, the writer of this gospel, the disciple whom, in whom Jesus loved, that wrote this disciple, uh, wrote this um, gospel is trying to communicate through the seven miracles and the seven I am statements is he's trying to present to the Jewish people who had such hope and faith in a guy named Moses who led the nation of Israel out of captivity and out of Egypt is he's trying to present to them the new Moses, the new Messiah. These are the root words are, are, are very similar in this case because he's trying to present not just a savior out of a situation or a context, but he's trying to present the savior of their lives the savior of the world. He's going, uh, your, your forefathers led you out of captivity in a specific place, in a specific time, at a specific
specific area, but, but I'm here to introduce you to, to a man, to a God man, Jesus, God with skin on, that's not just releasing you from a situation, but he's freeing you up for eternal life. And so we're tracing the seven I am statements. Again, Moses, the burning bush, he hears from God and he says, what should I tell these people I'm about to lead out of Israel, what your name is? And God responds to him and he says, I am who I am. And what we have all throughout the gospel of John is Jesus making these I am statements. He's, he's making big theological claims about who he is, that he's not just a, a rabbi. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a provider. Which all of these things, I think for those of us that know the gospel of Jesus, we can get quite excited about. But he is the savior of the world. Right? He's not just these things. He is the savior of the world. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 9. It's following a passage where Jesus has already proclaimed to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were one group of people in the ancient Near East um, that were expecting the new Messiah, the new Moses to come. And uh, as they were expecting him to come, there's a bunch of other ideas about who the Messiah would be. The Essenes had their own ideas. The Zealots had their ideas. The Sadducees had their own ideas. And then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a deeply religious, almost like a religious elite group that had a lot of control over the, the temple. And they expected Jesus to come and cleanse the temple. And Jesus has just come through a dialogue with them where he has called the Pharisees blind because he, they cannot see that he is the light of the world. And basically keep saying to them, like, others are accepting me at the same time you are rejecting me. Now, it's important to know that backstory because, again, John is packaging a lot of Jesus' I am statements along with some of the miracles in which he's performing. And so being aware that Jesus has just called the religious elites blind, we read in John chapter 9, verse 1, this story. It says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him, the Father, who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His, neighbor, uh, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like the man. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and, and, and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And what an, what is it, what an interesting story. Um, one of the things that, that John is trying to do in recording the story right after um, calling the Pharisees blind is he's trying to get the Pharisees to understand their own situation. 
uh, because they've lived with their own situation for so long that they're not quite sure how they're going to receive the help or they're not even aware that they need help. And so they're just kind of continuing on in their lives. And John is writing this for a Jewish audience saying, listen, can you see how the, the blindness of the Pharisees is being contrasted here with the blindness of this man who is literally physically blind? Now, the Pharisees are just continuing on their lives. They're like, I don't think anything's wrong. And, and in many ways, this is kind of how a lot of us live our lives. Like, there are many times, and um, maybe I'm speaking to a lot of the men in the audience, where we'll just say, like, everything's fine with me. And over and over again, we'll have people in our lives, like, you should go check, get that thing checked out. Uh, Nathan Lambert, who's not here today, he's actually speaking at another church. Um, uh, he's, he's the king of this problem. He'll come in ailing with something for months. And we'll be in the office, and we'll be like, hey, Nate, you should probably get that checked out. He's like, ah, it's merely a flesh wound. And we're like, I think it's a little bit more than that. And uh, nah, it's totally fine. And he'll go into the doctors and, uh, and they'll be like, no, actually, this is quite serious. You need to go into surgery right now. And uh, I'm obviously blowing this out of proportion. But this is, like, this is like some of our mentality. Like, I'm okay. Like, I, I'm going to be okay. Whether it be my grandfather who gets a cast put on after he bro- breaks his arm at 60. And uh, he gets home that day and rips the cast off because he's like, got to heal on its own. It's like, what is wrong with us as humans where when we are given a diagnosis by somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, and I keep looking at Tanner because he's actually maybe worse than Nathan at this. um, What is it with us that when we get a diagnosis, we just don't believe the experts? We're like, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they're 10 years of schooling and $400,000 worth of schooling debt doesn't really matter. Like, what do they know? Like, it's my body. I, I, under, I understand my body. You know what I mean? I remember as a kid, and I may have told this story before um, uh, at some point, but I remember as a kid, I, I, had, taking, I had taken a, a, um, some time off of uh, between high school and university. What am I doing picking up this drink? Like, I've ne- I never drink anything while I'm speaking. That's so awkward, you know? Sometimes pastors do this, and I'm like, they look so relaxed. They're, like, walking around, they're like, so Jesus' words were that he is the light of the world. You know what he's saying? I can't do it. Um, <laughs> um, I was taking a year off between high school and, and university. I was working, and I was looking for a job, and I, can't, I ended up being quite sick. And, uh, and I was quite sick, and, and I was telling my mom for about a week, week and a half, I was like, Mom, I'm, I'm really sick. And by the end of this week and a half, I was like, Mom, like, I feel like I'm dying. And I had a bit of a reputation in my family for being a bit of a whiner as a child. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm not a child anymore. I'm, I'm 17 years old at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager, but I'm not a child. And so my mom is just kind of like doing the mom thing, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're dying. And I was like, Mom, like, I can't breathe. And... And she's like, whatever, you know, you'll be fine. Just rest up. And I'm like, I've been resting for a week and a half. Nothing's changing. I'm getting worse. And I'm like puking every minute and things are going bad. And so finally my mom decides, she's like, I should probably take this guy to the hospital. I should take this kid to the hospital. She takes me to the merge in Coburg and I walk in and they're like, what's wrong with this, this kid? And she's like, ah, he's sick. And, and I'm like, I'm dying. And they're like, okay, okay. And they look at me, they're like, the, things seem to be pretty serious here. Can we just do run a few tests? And um, my mom's like, yeah, sure. Like, and I, I think in the moment she's like, I, 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 she's going to be watching this. I, I almost swear I, I, I hear her like leaning like, he's kind of dramatic, you know. 
And I'm just like, what a, what a family to be raised in, where nobody believes that you're actually... I've been working through this in therapy, mom, for like years. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so they bring me in, and uh, they take a look, and, uh, and they, they, they do a few tests, and they rush into the room, and they look at my mom, and they're like, ma'am, um, there's a problem. And I was like, what, what's the problem? They're like, your son is dying. And my, I'll never forget the look. It's like the only thing I remember from this season is my mom just going like, I just royally messed up. And they're like, we got to get this guy on, on. So they hooked me up with a double IV in both arms, and they started feeding me uh, water. I had H1N1. And uh, at the time, H1N1 was just dehydrating people to death, literally young young kids. And, uh, and, and it's funny because this story and all of these examples of, like, how we often live our lives where we're in denial of a, a real problem in our lives is everything that is going on in this passage with the Pharisees. They're going, we're good. And Jesus is going, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, we are. And they're like, no, we're good. And he goes, you're not good. And they said, well, who are, who are you to say that we're not good? What are your credentials? Who do you think you are? Why do you have the right to tell us who we are? And he basically, without saying, he goes, I'm the great physician, and you're not willing to take the the thing that I'm giving you, the diagnosis that I'm giving you, and doing something with it. It, It's this, this problem within our souls where sometimes when we feel like everything that is going on right on the outside is okay, that somehow we don't have to answer for what's going on in the inside. It's this problem of being home blind with our very own souls. You know this term of home blind? We did a whole series on this before the pandemic. This idea that sometimes we become so comfortable with our living situation that we stop realizing the problems in our home and in our houses that actually need to get fixed. The other day, I walked in to my bathroom. And this bathroom is right by our front door. It's the main bathroom that all of our guests use, okay? I walk into it. And I'm washing my hands, and I just kind of look up, and I go, oh, crap. And the reason I do this is because I get a flashback to moving into our house. Now, we're moving into our house in the middle of a pandemic, and we didn't know what to do because we were on a lockdown, and we were, like, new neighbors moving in, but we needed help. So we, like, completely ignored everything and got everybody with masks kind of on outside and Mostly not on inside. I'm not saying we disregarded the pandemic. As a church, we listened to it. We followed everything. But maybe at home, we bent the rules a little bit. Okay, I'm just gonna, that's just me getting sin off of my... If, if you're upset with that, I'm so sorry. Anyway, we came into the house. And uh, what we were trying to do is we sent my kids to my parents. And while my kids were at the parents, my parents' place, we had everybody come in and paint our house. So that when the kids came back in, we had most of the work done in our house. And then we could just like live in our house. Well, I remember being in the, the bathroom and paint and, and getting it ready for paint. I was in there with my mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law, were like, man, like, who knows when this room's going to get painted, but we should take the wallpaper off along the, the, you know, the, is it wallpaper or what is it called? The border, the border. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I remember just being so stressed because when we tried to move in, we got a call and we were already in the house and our lawyer's like, hey, something's wrong with the transaction. Don't go into the house. And I'm getting this call while I'm in the house. I'm like, Got it. Keep painting that wall. You know, I'm so stressed. I'm in there. And and Denise, my mother-in-law, keeps going like, hey, um, could you get that wallpaper behind the light? And I'm like, Denise, it's fine. We'll get it done. There's other things going on. I remember being a little bit snippy with her. 
she just said, no. We've been living there now for almost three years. And the other day, I'm sitting there washing my hands, and I look up, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? There is tattered wallpaper just hanging there behind our lights. Literally, first of all, I don't have very good friends because we've had a lot of people over and nobody has mentioned this to us. So all of you that have been at our house, shame on you. That's like having something in your teeth and your friends never say anything. It's like, just say something. If you're a good friend, you could say something. But we have friends come over and they're like, your house is so beautiful. Man, they really don't know how to take care of this place, do they? But they say that on the drive home. Because here I am, and I'm like, the wallpaper. Guys, that's what home blind is. You live with something for two and a half years, and you go, has that been there the whole time? And yet what we see in this passage is Jesus is trying to drive home for some religious people that he gets in an argument for an entire chapter within John. And he's trying to say to them over and over again, your soul is not okay. And they're going, how rude of you to mention that I'm not where I should be with God. And Jesus is going, the problem is, is if I don't mention something to you, nobody else has the right to do so. You've put yourself in such a place, in such a position as spiritual and religious elites that who else is going to tell you that everything is not right on the inside except for the great physician, except for the one that created you and your soul, except for the one that can see past everything you're doing on the outside and see what's going on on the inside. I think as the church, it's time to do some inner renovations. I think as the church, and, and, and again, I'm not talking to people outside of these four walls. This is sometimes the problem when we read passages like this, is when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, all of us want to go, man, I wish somebody outside of this room could hear this message. I wish that somebody else could hear this. I wish that the world that seems so dark and all these things are going on could hear this message and accept it. And the question for us in this room is in order for the message to get outside of these four walls, it needs to get into the people inside of these four walls. And the question is, as those of us that are religious, those of us that do follow Jesus, is are we taking stock of what's going on in our own souls. Are we open enough with God that we're willing to have him examine our souls and our lives and ask big questions about what's going on inside and offer that to God in humility and say, God, illuminate within me. If you are the, if you are the light, if you are the light of the world, can you illuminate the places within me, the places of darkness, the places that don't reflect the things that you came and died for, the things that don't reflect your decrees, could you light up within me the things that need changing? Father, could you do a heart renovation? How many of us are willing to do that hard work? And I think largely we have trouble doing that work because it's uncomfortable. Because <laughs> we have enough, going, enough things going on in our lives. Like I don't, I don't know about you, but I've got enough things going on in my life that the last thing I want to do at the end of the night or the beginning of a morning is to get before God and go, God, change me. <laughs> because I'm so worried about the other things I want him to change in my life. Change my workplace situation. Change my family situation. Change my housing situation. Change my financial situation. Change my title situation. Change my promotion situation. We're so focused on the external things that when we get home, when we wake up in the morning, we're so exhausted by this life 
that the last thing we want to ask God is to change what's going on in the inside. And yet, to Jesus' own words, we do that and we actually find the life we're looking for. And so my question to us this morning is really simple, before we move on from this question, is are you willing to ask God this question? God, help me to not be home blind. Illuminate within me. God, Father, could you illuminate within me areas of my heart I've become home blind to you so that I can release myself to the transforming work that you want to do in my life? That would change us. And then the change that we want to see within the world that we live in becomes so much easier because we ourselves are walking around as transformed individuals. One of the quotes that I've loved sharing over the last little while is, um, is, this, is, is this quote that says, um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the best gift that we could give to the world around us is our transforming self. Okay, So it's not, not a perfect self, it's not our sinful self, but it's the self that we offer to God and that he continually transforms in front of us. Because if we present ourselves as purely saints to the world that we live in, they're going to they're, they're hate us, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna disregard our voice, they're going to see through the religious superiority that we sometimes cloak ourselves with. But if we just present our sinful selves, we disregard the fact that God came to save us and to heal us from the things that are going on. The best thing we could do is to not find ourselves on extremes, on our internal selves um, that that we project to the world in front of us, but actually to bring the, the self that is being transformed in the presence of God. That has power to change the world. And so we need to be careful that we're not home blind. And one of the interesting things about, um, about Scripture, and sometimes the, the reason why it's so hard to um, understand. Have you ever been reading, uh, reading somewhere in the Bible and you're, just, you're, like, you're deeply confused, but you don't want to admit it because you just kind of feel like you should know what's going on? I got a few nods. Like people are like, we're prideful enough to not like, lift up a hand in this moment. Um, but we're humble enough to like give like a maybe. We're also confused by the question because we we have the pastor staring at us asking the question, and we're not quite sure if we should respond. That's how a lot of us are at the final moment of of, of our service. We usually do two sorts of prayers, right? Somebody who wants to uh, receive Jesus, and then the other one is like related to our message somehow. And I can see some of us struggling. We're like. Is this for me? Is the pastor going to judge me if I put up my... Is my wife, my, my husband, are they going to judge me if I raise my hand right now? And yet, we're trying to make it so broad so that you can just respond to the goodness of God. It's like, it's like you, every one of us needs strength in the Lord. And some of us are like, I don't know. It might be a trick question. I don't... Who needs the love of Jesus today? I'm going to pray for you if you need the love of Jesus. And we're all like, if I put up my hand right now, it might show that I'm, I don't have the love of Jesus. But if I don't put up my hand, they might think that I don't need the love of Jesus. Guys, let's stop overthinking our faith in those sorts of ways. Let's present ourselves to God as humble. Let's present ourselves as not always understanding what's going on in Scripture. And here's the thing, is Scripture is not trying to just spoon-feed you. It's actually trying to beg you into greater understanding. 
So the moments where you sometimes are a little bit confused by scripture, pay attention to those moments because those are likely the moments when, you remember these words that Jesus would say over and over again? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. The reason Jesus is saying these things is not because it's always obvious in front of everybody. It's because he wants those that actually want him to dig a little bit deeper. Does that make sense? It's not always just laid out to us like, you're blind. Why? Because everybody would see that and either reject it or accept it. He wants to draw us deeper into what's actually happening and what's actually going on. And one of the things about being spiritually blind that's going on in this passage is John is contrasting the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees with the physical blindness of this man that has been born blind. And he's trying to do that in such a way that draws out even greater meaning for all of us in this room and all of the readers that would have originally read this letter, uh, this account of Jesus' life from John, so that they might actually find that in the middle there is a beautiful truth that when applied to our lives actually provides freedom for our situation. But it starts with a question that some of us get a little bit confused by. Because the disciples ask him, Rabbi, Jesus... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We're like, that's a good question. Some of us don't understand the question, but it relates back to the way that the Jewish people saw sin. And often they believe that that physical deformities uh, spoke to previous sins, either in someone's life or the life of their uh, ancestors. And Jesus answers this. And at first we go, great answer, Jesus. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. We're like, right on. Great answer. Because it freaks us out. Some of us, we've heard all this stuff about like generational sin and generational curses. And, gener- and we're like, perfect. Okay, that, that helps me. But then Jesus goes, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> so is God allowing people to just be blind so that he can be glorified? <laughs> Anybody read scripture like this? Or you're just like flying through the passage. You're like, wow, somebody got sight. That's amazing. I'm reading it. I'm like, that's amazing. But why is it that this guy's got to be born, born blind in order for the God to be glorified? That seems sadistic. It seems backwards. And yet I think as we begin to just look a little bit deeper within scripture and stay with the question. Because for so many of us, we want it to be so black and white that when we read something like this, we get dismayed and we go, oh, God must not be who he says he is. Like, that's pretty, like, that thing my friend said about God might actually be true because that kind of, look, it looks like, like we're kind of pawns in God's story. And, and, and we go down this spiraling thought rather than just going back to Jesus as we spoke about last week and doing as much work into believing in who Jesus is as we are in doubting or facing our anxieties in this world. By just looking a little bit deeper, it actually is quite simple. Jesus is not saying that this guy's blind so that God might be glorified. He's saying God's going to be glorified because of his situation. That because this guy's in this situation, it's an opportunity for God to be glorified. Not that God made him that way so that he could be glorified, but the fact that he's glorified, God won't miss an opportunity to be glorified. <laughs> And so Jesus comes along and he heals the man and God is glorified in the moment. And everybody's celebrating except for the Pharisees. And this is where the tension is drawn even greater for those of us in the room. Because all of a sudden now we have a physically, a man who is born blind, physically blind, who can see, 
And then a bunch of people that are spiritually blind that are still blind. All of a sudden, the story flips on its head, and now the unexpected starts to happen, where all of a sudden, the person that everybody goes, he's obviously can't see, has better vision than those that would have said, these guys really know what's going on. Here's the thing about being blind that I was unaware of, and I wasn't even, doing, I wasn't even researching this because I was about to speak on this idea, but... Um, uh, it just like popped up and maybe it's because it had like, um, like my, the, the cookies on the internet were like following me. Um, and like what I was seeing, what I was searching, which is just an odd thing. I, I, I think sometimes like trying to explain this to my Mennonite neighbors out in Heidelberg, that I've got cookies that follow me and they tell me things that I need to buy. And it's why we can't stop buying stuff. It's a confusing dilemma. I don't even know that if that's really how it works, but every time I get these pop-ups that say accept all cookies or reject them, I'm like, more cookies, the better. <laughs> like whoever said, whoever said one batch of cookies is enough never tasted good cookies. Anyway, some of us don't, still don't know what I'm talking about. I don't really know what I'm talking about right now either. Let's go back to something I think I know what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm watching a, a video this past week, and um, and it was uh, a video of, of uh, basically the video started, and it said what what we assume people that are blind see, and it was just like a black screen, and uh, it was just totally totally dark, like it was just the whole screen was black. Everybody got that? And then they um, they said what um, people who are categorized as blind actually see. And I, I found this fascinating. I didn't actually realize this, that, that you can be categorically blind, but it means very different things. And so what they did is they took these glasses that will, um, they're like, um, they look a little bit like the 3D glasses that you pick up before you come to the movies or the 50 that we have at home because our kids uh, just keep stealing them from the movie theater and we keep going, where did you get all these? And we, I feel so bad about it. I just had to get it off my chest. Um, but they look like that, and then what the lenses are is they, they reflect the variety of different types of blindness that humans experience. And so um, they basically put them over the, the camera lens at, at this road, and then you begin to see a variety of different outlooks based on somebody with severe cataracts, somebody with severe... And because I, at the time I wasn't preparing for this message, I, I don't know where the, the, the video is. I couldn't, like, come up with other examples. But, but like, one of the, the lenses had, like, a black all in, all in the middle, and all you could see was out of your peripherals. And some of us, like, in this room are like, yeah, that's, that's what I deal with. Um, or that's what so-and-so deals with in my family. And then another one was, um, it was like the, the whole thing was actually covered, but there's just a tiny little pinhole of a cutout, and that's all that the person could see. And all of these were categorically considered blind. Like, you, you would be considered blind by having any of these eye issues. I found that really interesting because I think that when we talk about um, spiritual blindness, there's such a pride that arises in so many of us that we're not even willing to ask the question, am I spiritually blind? We just assume it's the person that, that we've come with. That when we've heard that message and they're like, that's so good. And we're like, that's so good. Like, you need to be changing this in your life. That it somehow just applies to them. Or just applies to that person you're a local that's attending another service. And you're like, oh, I hope they hear this message. 
And yet inside, what Jesus is trying to say to all of those that follow him, not just the Pharisees, he's just picking on them because they're so blatantly prideful, is listen, you've got work to do in your own soul. And sometimes we categorize it that either I I see everything that God's put in front of me or I don't see anything. So either I'm in the light and I can completely see everything or I'm in complete darkness and I can't understand everything. And because... Most of us in the room right now can understand something. We go, this one's not me. And yet what I think Jesus is trying to say to those that, that are following him, those that are curious in who he is, and those that, are, that, are, that have set themselves up as experts in the faith, is he's saying, listen, this isn't just black or white. This is, this is much more on a scale of what can you see and how much more can you surrender to see more clearly what I've laid out for you. Jackie, you know when. You know when to start that. I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Um, for a lot of us in, um, in the room, we tend to forget that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that he's not simply just speaking about your salvation, but he's also trying to speak to your sanctification. We, we have a hard time, like, like as, as the church in the West, I think because of the evangelistic efforts of the last century, we've done a really got, good job understanding that we need somebody to save us. But we sometimes do a poor job reminding ourselves day in and day out that we, we need to be continually saved day by day. Now, be careful because I want this to be clear and not walk out and be like, wait, like I have to be saved every day? Like my eternity is up for grabs every, no, no. It's the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, you are made right with Jesus. That's a, that's a, that's a moment in time. That's, that's something that happens to our souls when we, when we surrender what's been going on and we say, God, I'm yours. I accept what Jesus did. That's that's justification. You are made right with God in that moment. Eternity, you spend with God. But this process of sanctification is being made like God, like Jesus. And that's a daily discipline that every single one of us in this room has to go through. This is not just about whether or not you woke up today saved from eternal damnation. This is about whether or not you're going to live on this side of eternity fully alive in who Jesus is and not just the the, 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 the false and fake promises that this world gives us of hope and joy and peace. And Are we actually going to live into the fruits of the spirit that Jesus actually um, uh, uh, makes available to us? When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he absolutely wants to bring you into the light. But the other thing he wants to do is to light up your path on dark days. The other thing he wants to do is in the midst of a workplace conflict, he wants to help guide you through it in Christ-like ways. The other thing he wants to do is that when you're having trouble in your relationship with a friend or a coworker or in your marriage, to be right there with you lighting up the darkness that so often wants to crowd in and mess up the good things that God's brought into your life. And God, and, and, and what, what Jesus wants to do is come in and be the light in that situation. 
And I think for so many of us, we, we, we are so satisfied knowing that we are, we are saved and who Jesus is, but we forget that this grace that we've been given is costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pacifist who tried to kill Hitler. Try to figure that one out. He wrote this book called Costly Grace to describe that, yes, grace is free for us, but it cost God something. And when we realize and we begin to study the depths of what it costs Jesus to bring us into the light, it makes living for Jesus that much easier because we understand that by his stripes, we are healed. By his sacrifice, we are set free. By his wounds, we are made healed. We, we are healed. This is the story of the gospel, not just that you'd be saved for eternity, but you would be able to walk in the light every single day of your life. And it's by living this type of life that allows us to light up this world that we live in for Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. But in Matthew chapter five, he begins to explain to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And us being the light of the world is only possible when we allow the darkness and the blindness that we deal with in our own souls to be illuminated by Jesus Christ to be able to set an example for those that we live we live, live around, live with. Can we stand up in this place? We're gonna close with worship. And the first thing I wanna offer an opportunity for is for those of us in the room that haven't experienced justification, being made right with God receiving what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he paid a price for our sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves to bring us into relationship with the creator of this universe, our heavenly father. If you're here today, can we just close our eyes? This is so that there's no manipulation. If you're brought here by a friend, the last, the last reason you should be responding in this moment is because you don't want to disappoint somebody. This is between you and Jesus. If you're here today and you're going, you know what? I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. But this morning, I want to follow him. I want to receive what Jesus did for me on the cross, the payment that he paid to bring me in relationship with him. If that's you, and you want to make that decision, I'm not going to point anybody yet, but I want to know who to include in a prayer. With every eye closed, if that's you, can you just raise a hand right now and just go, today, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I don't want to leave this room without making that decision. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Amen. Well, let's pray for those that have just raised their hands. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of this movie theater on a Sunday morning, you are touching lives. You're reaching into the context and the stories of so many individuals in this room, and you're bringing them to a saving understanding, a saving knowledge of who you are. Father, I pray that this wouldn't just rest as knowledge, but that your spirit would come and transform the lives of every single person that just responded to this message. And we pray that you would be the light of the world, not just to their salvation, but to their day-to-day, day-to-day, that the context of their life would begin to shift over time because of what you are doing in their spirits. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate in this place? Amen. I am 
I am sometimes so dismayed by by how fickle my faith is and how many times I show up on a Sunday back in front of you guys and look at the past week of my own life and go, Jesus, where, what was I doing with you? How, why, like, how did I allow that much darkness to creep into my life? I'm not saying this to prompt you. I'm saying this is the reflection I generally have on a Sunday while we are worshiping God together. I go, God, I need this kind of light that I'm experiencing on a Sunday every single day of my life. I don't want it just here. I want you always. And I think there's a number of us here today that if we were admitting, we'd go, you know what? I need more light in my life. I need to invite him into more moments and more situations and more context so that my life can actually reflect the light of Jesus Christ. So with every eye closed, I just want to pray for us and we're going to worship to close ourselves out here today. But that's you. Can you just raise your hand? Father, we come here today, hopefully, out of a posture of humility saying, we aren't where we want to be with you. Father, we are thankful that you have saved us, but Father, we are we are also asking that you would light up every area of our life that we are failing to bring you into. Father, there is darkness that we all experience in this life because we are still living on this side of eternity. Father, I pray it's in those moments where we feel like giving up, where we feel like things are too dark, where we feel however, that Father, you would rush in with your light that illuminates with life-giving, um, uh, just life-giving brightness in our souls. Father, may you be glorified through our lives. May we recognize that you are always moving. Help us to see what you're up to. Be with us as we go from this place. And Father, we turn back right now just to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.